Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. We do thank you, God, for what you'll do here this morning. I pray, God, that you would meet with us, that you would instruct us, God, that you would uh, meet together with us, God, for our benefit. And I pray, oh God, that you would help us to, Lord, learn the things that we need to learn, that we can serve you well and serve you better. And I thank you, God, for all that you do. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. I thank you, God, for cleansing. I thank you for sanctification, God, in which you've set us apart, God, for the work that you've left us here to do. And I pray that you'd help us to do that work uh, obediently, God, and willingly. And we'll thank you, God, for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse number one, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of wicked of the wicked is trouble. The lip, uh, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All right, we're going to start right here in verse 14 uh, today, and we'll pick up here. This is a good place to pick up in the chapter. It says, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. Now, this is another one of these verses that give a good indication. I like these uh, uh, verses that are uh, indicative. They show you what you're dealing with. Of course, it's a great truth, and you'll hear it You'll hear it used. You'll hear it used often amiss. Uh, a quotation out of the Old Testament. Men will say, "Well, God looketh on the heart; man looketh on the outward appearance." Well, they'll use that verse to justify people doing whatever they're doing. Well, they're doing this, but you know, God looks on their heart. Well, what you see in a man's heart is also what you'll see showing up on the outward appearance. In that case, where the Lord says. Uh, to Samuel, he says, men look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. He's talking to a man that's just met somebody. He's talking to a man who just has a group of people lined up in front of him, and he's about to choose. I mean, the, 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 the thoughts of Samuel is, surely this is God's man right here because look what a fine specimen of a person that he is. Uh, eldest, firstborn, all of these things. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to look on the heart. I'm going to look a little bit deeper than how a man classifies others and how a man looks on others and how a man judges others. And man, we're talking about primary things, first things, uh, first uh, impressions is the, is the word that men like to use. 
And men are very strong on first impressions. We go by first impressions a lot. You get a bad first impression of somebody who's a good man, and it'll ruin you. It'll taint your ideas about them. And so that works both ways. It surely does. Somebody you think's a great person because you look at them for the first time and you hear them talk for the first time or whatever the case might be and get a good impression of a fellow that's really a thief and a scoundrel and, and rotten to the core. And so the Lord says he doesn't look that way. But what you've got here, as in the rest of the chapters that we've dealt with already, and the rest of the chapters that we will deal with in the book of Proverbs is a great indicative, indicative. It's indicative. And what it says is, let me read it again, the heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. If you're dealing with a man that's not seeking knowledge, he's not trying to grow He's not trying to increase in learning. He's satisfied with the, the status quo. He's, well, I've been taught this way since I was in uh, boyhood Sunday school, and this is the way I believe, and this is right. He's not looking to grow. He's not looking to increase knowledge. You're dealing with the foolish man. And so what he says in totality is, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. So you've got, some, you've got a contrast here of somebody who's seeking to know, seeking to learn, seeking to learn more. They're not, they're not saying, I don't know anything. They're not saying, I can't trust what I've already learned. But they're saying, I'm trying to build on what I know to be the truth. And our foundation is Jesus Christ. Our, our beginning uh, factor in our knowledge of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've started on a solid basis. We've learned of the grace of God where, uh, where we've been nurtured in grace and truth. And we're beginning to grow, but we want to learn more. We want to grow more. We're not satisfied with the Southern Baptist Sunday School, you know, curriculum, and that's the end all and be all. We just want to be happy to get the opposite of the man that's trying to grow is a man that just feeds on foolishness feeds on foolishness and it's he's a consumer and i don't mean a consumer of knowledge look what it says again it says but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness they're not they're not a consumer of knowledge they're a consumer of everything but knowledge matter of fact knowledge bothers them and you'll hear them say you think you're a know-it-all well if I'm looking for something real and true, I do know more than you. I don't, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not the smartest man in the world. I'm not saying this even in the case of me. I'm talking about you too. This is the attitude you should have. Uh, when somebody says, oh, you think you're a know-it-all, and they've got all kinds of catchphrases like that. If you stop doing something wrong and you start doing something right, the wicked will say, well, you think you're better. You think you're a holier than thou. Well, uh, if we both drink and God saves my soul and convicts me of the unholiness of drinking and I quit drinking and you keep drinking, I am holier than you. Now that that boils folks oil right there. That gets people in and you, you think you're speaking from a uh, from a position of of uh, high-mindedness, but that doesn't come. We understand the humility that is in Christ. We understand the humility that is in the Christian life. We understand that high-mindedness is the act of a fool. We understand all that, but at the same time, we understand the reality 
that the righteous is better than his neighbor. He is holier than thou. And being holier and being better and being uh, in a position that's elevated above the position you were in when you were lost, it's thankworthy. You can thank God for it. And it's, it's, a, it's a position to be uh, joyful over. Thank God that I'm not what I used to be. And in any way, shape, or form that a man can be justified in the flesh, he can glory by that, according to Romans chapter number 4. Now, in the condition, the position that they're talking about is a little bit different in Romans chapter 4, doctrinally speaking. If he's justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. That's a positive statement. But in the condition of being saved, you don't have anything to, be, to glory of. But in the, in the condition of life, in the condition of living a Christian life, if you've done a thing which you are justified to do, you do have whereof to glory. And it's, it's stated plainly in the Scripture. It's stated plainly in that passage of Romans chapter 4. And I've used the illustration before, and I use it again because it's one of the best. You quit drinking. Are you justified to quit drinking? I mean, just the fact that you won't get cirrhosis of the liver justifies the fact that you quit. The fact that you won't die and kill someone else in a drunken automobile accident, you're justified in that. Is there a good reason for me? Catch that? Just the way I just said that. Is there a good reason for me? Now, whatever comes after that doesn't make any difference. Is there a good reason for me to read the Bible? Okay, then you're justified to read the Bible. See, every time you read the word justified in the Bible, you tend to run totally and completely to the statement of salvation. In other words, when you say justified by faith, you're, you're tempted in every case to run and say you're saved by faith when justification is a small part of salvation. I shouldn't say a small part. It's actually a large part. But I'm talking about there are so many things connected to salvation that there's a bunch, there's salvation, there's inside of salvation, there's justification and sanctification and propitiation. There's so many parts to it that every time we read about one particular part of salvation, we ought not include the whole in it. Because if you take it and you boil it down just as it's given to you, and you take justification, we're justified by faith through the Lord, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That brought our salvation, that brought our cleanliness, that brought our position with Christ. But at the same time, justification is not limited to salvation. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you. You see a man that's seeking wisdom, and he's gaining wisdom. He's seeking knowledge, and he's gaining knowledge. As the verse says here in chapter 14, the heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. When you begin to see that in somebody, so something has taken place. Something is right. Something is good. Something is thankworthy. I can thank God for it, and I can be thankful for this person. And Paul begins just about all of his epistles that way. I thank my God for you. And, and in some sense or in some, in, in some phrase, in some manner of speaking, he relates that to, to every church that he writes to. I thank my God always on your behalf. And so what you're dealing with here is Paul is able to look and see and he's able to discern what's going on in the hearts of men. 
and if they're partakers of the grace of God or not. Are they a partaker of grace of the grace of God, or are they a partaker of the grace of God in vain? And those are those are things that really you need to know when you're dealing with folks and you're dealing with one another. You say dealing with one another if you're the pastor, right? No, I'm not talking to pastors. I'm talking to Christians who are dealing with one another. And so you can see how to be safe from a predator. You can see how to pray for a disciple. All these things are very important. Uh, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Uh, verse number 10, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. So if you, you're attending church and you're going about your Christian life and you see somebody that's just always grieved to the hill when somebody brings up a rule or a regulation, you know what you're dealing with. Well, I can't judge him. He might be having a hard time. Yeah, he's having a hard time with righteousness. <coughs> there ain't nothing wrong with righteousness. You say, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Yeah, but then how bad is your wickednesses? <laughs> Which one do you want? Amen. Which one do you want? Amen. You say, well, I don't think there's no value to, to righteousness. Then you're crazy. So I don't think there's no value to the righteousness of men. Then just throw it all away. I mean, what in the world are you talking about? Where did you get that strange doctrine from? So well, none of us can be saved. I'm not talking about being saved at all. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking, what you're talking about here, look in verse 10 again. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. If you don't teach men how to be men, if you're not trained, if you're not ruled over, if you're not guided by some faction, if you're not guided by some rule, by some principle, how will you have any estimation of what's going on in the, in the spiritual life if you don't know what it is to be corrected in your physical life? Everything has and everything should have rules and regulations attached to it and attended to it. Everything. You say, why? Because that's, that's the way life is made up. An unruly man is a rebellious man. A man unruly, no rules. I mean, there is no, there is no condition up to and including the grace of God. There is no condition that has no rules, no guiding principles. There's no such thing as that. Just follow your heart. You'd be a fool if you did. You say, why? The heart is deceitful above all things, yea, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, not my heart. My heart's been, t yeah, okay. Nobody wake him up. He's, uh, nobody wake that man up. He'll be waking from a bad dream if he is. Well, hopefully God would enlighten his eyes. Amen. But hell and destruction, he says in verse 11, are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men? The Lord sees your heart. The Lord does see your heart. And the thing about it is the issues of that heart, the issues of life that proceed from what's on the inside of you are going to be telling. Not only the world, and the world will be glad of it if you're like them, but it'll show you as a Christian what the needs of others are. And I'm not telling you to start walking around trying to judge every minute aspect of people's intentions and stuff. I'm not telling you to be mind readers and, and you know, be super spiritual uh, 
pharisaical type, what we call pharisaical. I don't think the modern church has a good idea about what being pharisaical is. But what I'm trying to get across to you is, is don't make yourself your brother's inspector. Don't make yourself an inspector of the world. The world has already been inspected and found wanting. But what you need to do is be aware of what you're dealing with when you're dealing with it. In other words, if I were to meet Brother Chris on the street, I wouldn't begin to inspect him saying, now, God, I want to see what this man's up to. And see. No, I'm not talking about that at all or in any way, shape, or form. But I'm talking about in the course of life, you will be dealing with people. And as situations arise and as consequences become clear, you'll be able to know more clearly what you're dealing with. And as a result, you'll be able to know how to pray. The Bible simply calls that discernment. And discernment is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Administration is a gift of God. To be able to run something correctly. But to be able to have discretion, uh, to be able to make decisions, to be able to have... uh, to be able to have the ability to look at it and discern, look at a thing, a person, a situation, and be able to discern what's going on is also a gift from God. And so when you see verse 10, correction is grievous to him that forsaketh the way. Verse 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him. When you see those things, when you see verse 14, the heart of him that hath understanding Seeketh knowledge. When you see those things, good or bad, positive or negative, you know what you're dealing with. And that's what we're dealing with. Wisdom. A wise man being able to see. Uh, you get two ladies, they come before the judge with a baby and say, one of them's mine. And the other one says, that same baby's mine. You know, I'm talking about a judgment that was made in the Bible. How do you know? How do you know what's going on? Well, you got to be able to find what's coming out of the heart. The king says, okay, cut the baby in half and give half to that woman and half to that woman. The woman that's jealous and greedy and got evil in her heart says, yeah, do that. The mother says, no, okay, give it to her because she loves it. That's, it's, it's what's coming out of the heart that tells the beholder, the hearer, what is the right thing to do. So once he, he says that, he says something to bring out a response, and when he sees the response, then he knows how to deal with it. In much the same way a preacher would do that. He'll preach at what God lays on his heart and he'll see what the response is. And as a response to that, God will lead him into what to say next and what to do next. When a person goes out, they knock on doors, they witness to people at work, they get a response and they see what's necessary and they, so they know how to pray. And God, they know how to ask God for the needs. And God is also able to tell them what they need to say next and what they need to do next. It's something that works in every aspect of life. Not just for a priest class. Not just for a prophet. But for every Christian. Everybody that has the Spirit of God in their heart can have the advantage of knowing what they're dealing with. Not spending 10 years around somebody to find out they were a cheat and a liar. Uh, and all these things. All right, so let's move on. Verse number 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. The old saying is every day's a holiday, every meal's a feast. Some people are like that, even if they're eating bologna and green beans and pinto beans and that just all everything's a feast. Amen. All the days of the afflicted are evil. They have a good job and not have enough. 
They can have a good car and not have enough. They can have all the best and not have enough. Nothing's ever good enough. Oh, we, we, we're always coming short. No, you got too much as it is. So all these things God give me. And I understand that. Whatever you've got, I believe that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I believe that the good things come from the Lord. I believe that. But it's, uh, again, it's another situation like I was talking about in Romans 4. You've got the justification of salvation, then you've got the justification of your actions and deeds. The, the, the one doesn't take away from the other. Well, you know, you've got people who are blessed with everything, but they don't, uh, they don't give God the glory for what they've got. And so in that case, they begin to chase more and be dissatisfied, and, and there's no reason except for the consuming it upon their own lust. And so things don't turn out right for that person. When they get what they after, that's not enough. And when they get their heart on something else and chase that and get that, that's not enough. Never content. Never content, never willing to abide where you are. There are cases where you can see what you have and desire something else, but be satisfied where you're at and be content, be willing. If this is all I ever get, this is fine. You know you want something, but you know the getting of that is not going to change the condition of your heart. If I get that, it's not going to make me love the Lord anymore. I love the Lord just as much with what I have. As I, so There's a difference there that goes on. But the difference, again, is, is evident. It's something that you can see. They want this, they're not, they want this, they get this, they're not satisfied. They want that, they get that, they're not satisfied. They're, and, and it's not just that they're not satisfied. Listen, if you make a dollar, go chase another dollar next week. I mean, you're going to need a dollar next week. I'm not talking about getting something and never wanting to get anything else. I'm talking about you saw you, something that you wanted. You chased what you wanted. You got what you wanted because in all labor there's profit. You get, but you're just griping, complaining. All oh, this is terrible. Well, it's what you asked for. Everything on this planet is cursed. Well, I wanted this tractor and I got this tractor and the blame thing's always breaking down. Well, guess what? You're going to break down too. <laughs> the people that made this a bunch of rip-off artists. Well, why? Because it broke down? God made you. Did you break down? Is God a, is God a uh, rip-off artist? No, he's not. <laughs> you live in a cursed world where things break down. Amen. There ain't nothing made that's perfect. Amen. Sometimes you think them tractors and stuff have a mind of their own. Amen. Uh, you notice how when you feel good, that starts with one pull. But if your elbow's hurting, it'll take 50 times to pull that thing and start, just like it knew it was getting on your nerves. Well, you see, what you've got is people who look at things from different perspectives. One man is thankful. Oh, well, thank God. Thank God I've got it. Amen. You know, I've got it, and it's broke down, so it'll cost me $15, $20 to get it fixed or $200 to get it fixed. If I didn't have it and had to buy it, it'd cost me $10,000. You say, well, Brother Mike, you're looking at it in a very, uh, a very lighthearted way of looking at things. I suggest you look at it too, amen. You're sitting there complaining because you're going to have to spend $200 to get it fixed, something that God's blessed you with. 
While on the other hand, some old boy somewhere sitting around wishing he had it and ain't got the money to get it. He said, well, he should go work. Maybe the guy works 70 hours a week and still don't make what you've got. You might make less than him and have better. You know that's possible. Amen. God might have gave you uh, enough wisdom to get more with, with less. Amen. But some people get and complain. Amen. Feeling kind of small up here myself. Amen. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And then some. these are some explanatory verses about verse 15 says what it says. And verse 16, 17 are explanatory verses about verse 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. If you feared the Lord, you could do more with less. You could do more things, produce more things. Better. Amen? Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox. You know where your steaks come from, don't you? A stalled ox and hatred therewith. You know, you put up the fatted calf. You put up the calf to make him into a fatted calf. He's stalled. He's protected. He's fed on corn and the best. I don't know if corn's the best to feed anything with or not, but I'm saying you put him up, you feed him with the best food, you fatten him up, you get him, you know, he's not out there chewing on uh, corn cobs and pine needles and, you know, he's eating the good stuff. Well, the Bible says better is a dinner of herbs. Herbs. We like steak and baked potatoes. How would, you, how would you like to be eating oh, rosemary and cumin and herbs? I mean, we're not even talking vegetables. We're talking herbs. <laughs> we're out there, thyme or thyme. I think they pronounce it thyme, but it's spelled T-H, so I call it thyme. Anyway, dill seed. <laughs> Don't sound like a bird seed is what we're talking about. Better, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Uh, I'm going to go home and fry me and my wife up some uh, cilantro and sit down and wink at one another. Amen? Amen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. So that's what he's talking about. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. So just classify yourself this morning. Am I one of the afflicted? Your actions, your attitude, the words that you speak, are those the words of a, do you talk like an afflicted man? Has God blessed you, but you talk like one that's in, you know, sitting on the ash heap with Job? Are you living the life of Job or are you living the life of the blessed? And so you've got to know what the life of the blessed is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, notice all these things. He's talking about place to sleep, place to lay your head down, food and raiment. And he says, having these things, be content. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hey, has, has God gave you what you need to live? to pass your days in peace 
Amen. There's many a husband and wife argument was, that was started on the assumption that we didn't have enough, didn't have the things that we ought to have had. Amen. A little quiet there, but it is the truth, my friends. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. A wrathful man stirreth up strife. Well, uh, I had to think about that for a little bit, but a wrathful man, a man that likes to pour out wrath, a man that actually likes to afflict somebody, uh, I guess there there might be somewhere. Some, I guess somewhere the Bible says, "Earthly fathers corrected us according to their pleasure." So I'm. I guess there is somebody that exists that enjoys whipping people. I don't enjoy whipping folks. I I enjoy getting along with folks. Amen. I enjoy having a good time with my children. I don't enjoy discipline. I don't enjoy giving spankings or anything like that. But I suppose that there are people who like to see other people. Go to jail. And uh, if it's for the protection of somebody else, I would like to see a man go to jail if I knew that his actions was going to hurt somebody else physically. I'd rather see. I don't like the thought of somebody languishing away for years in prison. I don't like the thought of somebody being assaulted, murdered, whatever the case might be. So that person belongs in jail. That's justice. That's from the perspective of justice. Now, just from the perspective of going out and catching somebody and putting them in chains and locking them up, that doesn't interest me in the least bit. But I want you to look what it says. A wrathful man stirreth up strife. So if you see somebody saying something to put doubt in other people's mind, if you see somebody that's telling tales just to get two people arguing with one another, then what you know you're dealing with is a man that loves wrath, a man that in the back of his mind somewhere you can't see lies a deviant, malicious man, malicious man or woman that just likes to see people suffer. You couldn't get them to admit that. You could, it would be hard for you to admit that about people you love and people that you think well of and people that you've known all your days but when somebody is a tailbearer and stirs up strife, he's a wrathful man. There's something in his brain that likes to see other people suffer. You say, he's a great man. He's a rascal. You might like him and you might love him, and that's commendable on your part. But don't be deceived about what you're dealing with. This idea over the last hundred years that men, and maybe it's probably been around through all time, but in the American philosophy, it's not been around that long. The old American philosophy was a biblical philosophy that said all men are bad. Even if everybody wasn't an independent Baptist church or an independent Baptist or, an, or whatever the case might be, everybody wasn't even a Presbyterian or a Congregationalist. There was an understanding in the American thought that said people were bad like the Bible says people were bad. And it's been changed over the last ever how many years it's taken to get that everybody's good and everybody means well and everybody has the best of intentions. Intentions. It's just not true. In the grand scheme of things, it's every man for himself, and you have to fight against that. You, I'm talking to People's Baptist Church now, I'm making it real personal with you. Every person in this building has the central idea 
and you're in agreement with the philosophy of every man for himself, and Christianity is a great fight against that. Your life as a Christian since you got saved has been to, uh, to untrain your deceitful mind and train you into the thoughts of putting others better than yourself and helping your neighbor and, and being kind one to be. Why would the Bible tell a Christian born again, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another? Why would the Bible have to, why would God have to specifically tell you Gentile, born again, filled with the Spirit people? Why would he have to tell you that? The reason he have to tell you that is because there's a self-centered, conceited mind within you that's very difficult, very difficult to deal with. Matter of fact, the only way you can deal with it is have the Holy Spirit come in, regenerate you, do some great things in your, in your mind. Amen? So we've been trained, to, the, the public schools, turn our kids over to the public school when they're Lord have mercy, four and five years old and give them to them until they're 18 years old, their most formative years. Why don't they want your kids when they're like 25 or 26? 26, they don't want to deal with that. They'll put them in prison then. They want them between the ages of five and 18 so they can just indoctrinate them. And you don't have to, they don't have to come door to door and take guns. They don't have to go door to door and take Bibles. They don't have to do that. I don't believe they ever will do that. Some places I believe will get wicked enough to do that, spots and places. Just look at a map of America and look at the blue spots and the red spots. And in some of those blue places, they will do that because the people are just mind numbed out of their senses anyway. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm talking about an overarching view of the thing. They're not going to have to come door to door and take Bibles. They're not going to, they're not going to take Bibles and guns from your doors. They're going to take them at the school. They'll take them at the school. They'll take the Bible from your kids before they ever get one. They'll take guns from your kids before they ever get one. And in the back of their mind, they're wrathful men. Just, just cross them and see what happens. Just cross them and see what happens. Amen? I think, I think, every, I think uh, one of the first courses that a kid ought to get in kindergarten and first grade is a course on Ruby Ridge in Waco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All them nuts, them nuts out there in Waco. Oh, the, them, them uh, radical nuts, crazy people out there in Waco. Well, I thought crazy people had rights too. David Koresh thought he was a Messiah. You don't even think there's a such a thing as society. As a, uh, excuse me. Let me say that again. Got, got, my tongue got ahead of my brain. He said, well, David Koresh deserved what he got because he thought he was the Messiah. Well, he thought he was the Messiah, and you don't believe there's a such a thing as a, as a Messiah. So I don't know who should be attacked. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Two birds of the same, uh, cut from the same cloth, I think, is, is the man that thinks he's a, he is a Messiah and one that don't think there is one. Amen? I think a man that don't think there is one believes the same thing Koresh does. In other words, like your heroes like Ophrah. Mm, she don't believe in God. She don't believe in God at all. I don't care. She, if she does talk about a God, I believe she's talking about herself. Amen? Amen. Well, at any rate, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, 
and I'm, we could spend a real long time on verse 18. I don't really want to, but the news media is there to stir up strife. Yeah. You say, yeah, that's CNN. No, I'm talking about Fox News too. You listen that long enough, boy, your blood will get up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll leave that where it is. And most of those guys are Catholics. There's two subversive agents in the United States. One's a progressive socialist communist. I lump all them in together, and the other's Catholicism. And I don't. Want, I want you to make something very clear in your mind. Catholicism will prop up socialism till it breaks you. Until it breaks you, and once you're broke, it can step in and be the winner. Amen. The thing that people don't realize along the line. I got to say this, and I got to move on. Uh, Adolf Hitler's a Catholic. Yeah. You say, well, they probably, uh, they probably uh, excommunicated. No, no, they never did excommunicate. All these murderous Nazi leadership, Roman Catholic, never excommunicated. The Pope never stood up one time and said, we detest these horrible... No, 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 no. Roman Catholics. The United States and Britain fought against that and come out on the right side. Catholic Church kept their mouth shut. If Adolf Hitler would have come out on top of that situation, they'd have come out, we pronounce you the leader of the new Holy Roman... Yes, sir, they'd have got on the, they'd have got on the winning side just as sure as you stand there because they're devils. Amen. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. If you go back and read the history of Europe, it's nothing but a big Catholic fight from stem to stern. From start to finish, out of the dark ages, the, uh, in, their, uh, in their estimation, the worst thing that ever happened was a man coming out of that Catholic church talking about grace through faith, Martin Luther. And he wasn't a very good man himself, and he didn't do very much with what God gave him, in my estimation. And John Calvin and the rest of them fall into the same category. But they've been, the Catholic Church has been fighting for power ever since. They were fighting to keep people under their power, and when they lost it, they've been fighting to get it back ever since. Amen. The dumbest thing America ever done was allow a Catholic Church to be open on its soil. Amen. That's, we're not even talking about the Muslims. Amen. Don't you believe in freedom of religion? Yes, I do. But Catholics and Muslims are not, they are religious, but they're governments. <clears throat> we don't have to have a lesson on government religions, do we? We're all Americans. We should know all about that. Amen. Verse number 18, the wrathful man stirreth up strife. But he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns. Now we've, we've switched gears here in verse number 19. The way of a slothful man is an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. i got 15 minutes, and rather than start right here, matter of fact, I'm just going to read this to you, and we'll pick this up next week because it's a change of gears that I don't think that I can make successfully here in the next 15 minutes. So we'll just read it and give you some uh, underpending for next week. The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. 
A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Fully, uh, folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. Verse 22 is a good verse to leave you with. Read that over the week. Pray about it, and God will probably show you some good things even before you get back to Sunday school next week. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your direction. I pray, oh God, that you'd help us not to be tailbearers, not to be uh, strife bearers, not to be one that stirs things up uh, as far as strife goes, but help us stir up uh, the hearts of men for the gospel. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. I pray, oh God, you'd get a hold of our church, our church members, God, those that not here for Sunday school. I pray you'd draw them in. Have mercy on them, oh God, and help them to get here safely. We'll thank you, oh God, for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. All right, take a little break here. Yeah.